The following audio is from Pathway Community Church. More information about Pathway Community Church is available at www.pathwaycommunity-church.org. Well, after the economic crisis back in 2008, you remember you remember that crisis, right? It seems now we're in a different crisis, uh, pandemic. But um, after the 2008 economic crisis, uh, crisis, there were a number of suicides of formerly wealthy individuals. The acting CFO of Freddie Mac hanged himself in his basement. The CEO of Sheldon Good, which is a leading real estate auction firm, he shot himself behind the wheel of his Jaguar. When Bear Stearns' executive learned that he's not going to be able to be hired by J.P. Morgan Chase, they were buying out Bear Stearns, and, and he didn't get to go with them. And, and, and so he uh, overdosed on drugs, and he jumped out of the 29th window of his office building. I mean, we get the point, right? People were, uh, were, were distraught because of the economic downturn. And so here's the question. What would cause people to hit such depths? And, and despair so greatly to the point of taking their own life when they find out that their, their, their wealth and their prosperity is diminished. What would lead people to such despair to do that? It's one word. Idolatry. C.S. Lewis, theologian and author, he called idolatry false intimates that make promises they cannot deliver on. Tim Keller, a philosopher and teacher and author, says it like this. He says, The human heart is an idol factory that takes good things, like successful careers and love and family and material possessions, and and our heart takes those good things and we turn them into ultimate things. Things that, that, that we think that they can, they, they, we deify those things and we think they now can deliver us the things that only God can deliver. And we worship those things and we look to those things to give us significance and security and safety and, and protection and fulfillment. And now here, here it is, right? We're in the 21st century, right? So we're so sophisticated now. I mean, idolatry? I mean, come on, Kurt. Like, what are you talking about? We don't bow down to any wooden or carved idols. Sounds so primitive, doesn't it? But if you go back to the beginning in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, God says in Genesis 1 that He created us in His image to be image bearers. God is hardwired into every human being to be image bearers, to reflect Him to the world. That's how He created us. But ever since Adam and Eve Eve rebelled, human beings have been looking to created things to give us what only God can give, and, and, and we reflect those things instead of reflecting His glory to our own ruin. 
Here's what I want you to consider this morning. There's a biblical principle that runs throughout the entire Bible, and it describes the impact of either worshiping God, the creator and author of life, or of worshiping and bowing down to created things, right? Here's the principle we're going to look at, and we're going to come back and in the passage this morning, we're going to see it worked out, okay? So the principle that we see running out through the entirety of Scripture is this. We become what we worship. We resemble what we revere. We become what we worship, either to our own ruin or to our restoration. That's what we're going to look at this morning. That's the principle you see from the, the, the beginning of the Bible to the end. And, and, and God made us, right? God made us, like I said already, in Genesis 1, it says he made us to, to image him. And if we're worshiping him and we're looking at him and revering him, and he's the author of life, he's the creator of life, then we worship him, we reflect his glory to the world, and, and, and we become, to our own restoration, we become full of life as we do that because he's the author of life. You see how that works? It also works the other way, right? Because of our fallen sinful hearts, we look to created things. We look to people. We look to objects. We look to possessions. And we make them primary in our heart. And as we do that, we start to become like those things. But because those things or those people are not full of life, they're death, they die, they decay, they're lifeless, they're empty, we become like those things. And so this morning we're continuing our series. We have one more week in uh, in Kings. We're in 2 Kings this morning. We're looking at chapter 1. And we're looking at this series. It's called Hills and Valleys. And we're learning how to trust God through the hills and valleys of our life. And Elijah, the prophet Elijah, we've been looking at him, and we're going to meet him in 2 Kings 1. And we're going to see this principle at work in this passage. And so that's why I wanted you to kind of step back and understand this principle, so that then you can see it applied in this text and and make sense of what's going on here. Are you with me on that? And so open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 1. We're going to look at this, this chapter in its entirety. And we're going to see in this chapter one group of people who become like the idols that they're worshiping. And it's to their own ruin. We're going to see that played out here. And it's not a pretty picture. We're also going to see another person who worshiped idols, but seeing God's God's judgment over idolatry, he, he, he cries out for mercy and he becomes what, what he worships. He then turns and worships God and it's to his own restoration. It's amazing. So what you want you to consider this as we go through this passage this morning is, is where are you at this morning in this story? Right, where are you at today in, in terms of your worship? Are you worshiping the one true God and reflecting him and it's to your own restoration? Or are you worshiping someone or something else and it's to your own ruin? We become what we worship either to our ruin or to our restoration. So here we go. Second Kings chapter 1. King Ahab is dead. 
That's good news, right? We should be applauding because, man, he is a evil, wicked king, right? We talk, he, he introduced Baal worship and, and he led the entire nation of Israel astray. And he was like, man, he is wicked. He, he is more evil, it's said, than the seven kings, that, the six kings that came before him. And he's finally dead. Like, yes, finally, let's get rid of him. And now his son, King Ahaziah, is on the throne. What is King Ahaziah like? Well, the end of 1 Kings, so if you're in 2 Kings 1, you can just look at the page before and look at the end of that chapter, uh, 1 Kings 22, 51 to 53, and it says this, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. He did what was evil in the sight of of the Lord, and he walked in the way of his father, in the way of his mother, in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. Can I just, just briefly say, parents... Parents, how you raise your children matters. Parents, your children see what you're doing. Parents, our children hear what we're saying to them and they watch what we're doing. And it's like when we're not following the Lord and we're not living for the Lord and then later in life we look at our children and we say, I wonder why they're not following Jesus. We have to look at ourselves. Parenting matters. Hey, did I tell you we're going to have a parenting group that we're starting this fall? And it's going to be on Thursday nights. Jennifer and I are going to lead that. And I'd love for you, if you're a parent or you're thinking about being a parent, to come. It's eight weeks, and we're going to talk about how to raise your children in a way that honors the Lord. Parenting matters. So, King Ahaziah is on the throne. It says, verse 2, we're in 2 Kings 1, verse 2. Uh, it says, he fell through the lattice banister in his upper chamber, right? So he's in his, his palace, and there's an upstairs to his palace. And maybe there's a, a lattice railing around the, the upstairs, and somehow he falls over that, and, and he falls down, and he gets terribly hurt. And, and it's like, okay, I want to know, like, how bad is it, right? Like, am I going to die or am I going to live? What's going to happen now? And so he prays and he asks God. He's like, God, will you tell me whether I'm going to live or die, right? Is that, is that what he does? <laughs> Some of you are looking at your Bible. That's a good thing. He doesn't look to God. He, God is the one true God, but he doesn't look to God. Instead, he sends his messengers and says, Hey, I want you to find out whether I'm going to live or die from this accident. So go to Baalzebub and, and find out from Baalzebub whether I'm going to live or die. Now, we know King Ahab, his father, introduced Baal worship. And, and now King Ahaziah is worshiping Baalzebub, which is a form of Baal worship. It's just another false god that they've created and it means the lord of the flies you can imagine maybe they've carved some kind of stone statue to look like a fly 
And they're going and finding this. And they're going to try to go and ask this stone statue that looks like a fly. Is he going to live or is he going to die? Instead of trusting God and looking to him like his father, he turns to Baal worship. Meanwhile, God sends an angel to Elijah, right? It says in the text. And so the angel comes to the prophet Elijah, and he meets Elijah, and he says, I want you to go and intercept these messengers on their way to Beelzebub, and I want you to ask them this question, and then I want you then to go back and have them ask King Ahaziah. And he said, here's the question. Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're worshiping Baal? Like, is that what's going on here? I kind of wonder if God's posing that same question to us today. Is is it because there's no God in America that, that we're turning to politics to solve our problems? Is it because there's no God in Illinois that we turn to psychology to fix our problems? Is it because there's no God in Elmhurst that we turn to sports and entertainment to give us peace and to make us happy? Is it because there's no God in our church that we turn to comfort and leisure and, and, and alcohol to give us peace? Of course there's a God in Israel. Of course there's a God in America. Of course there's a God in Illinois and Elmhurst and in this church. The question is, are we trusting in him? And God tells Elijah to tell the messengers to go to King Ahaziah and tell him you're not going to live. You're not going to live. You're not going to make it. And King Ahaziah, instead of worshiping the one true God, he's worshiping this lifeless God. And listen, whenever we worship anything or anyone other than the one true God, it's to our own ruin and destruction. We do this. We do this. We become like the kings... That, excuse me, we come like the things we worship to our own ruin. If you center your life and you center your identity on your spouse or on another person, if you look to that person to give you what only God can give you, then you will become emotionally dependent upon that person. You'll become jealous of that person. You'll become controlling of that person. And if you worship that person instead of God, it will be to your own ruin. If you center your life on your children, your family, I mean, listen, these are good things, but if you make them primary, if you make them ultimate, then you try to live through your children or through your family, and they'll end up resenting you and moving away, and I'll be like, man, I have no relationship left. If you center your life, your identity on your work and career, and you become a driven uh, alcoholic, workaholic, right? You work and work because that's where your worth and identity come from. And, and then something happens. You lose your job. The career goes south. And it's like, man, you are in despair. You center your life, your identity on money and possessions. I mean, you get eaten up by worry. 
and, and, and jealousy and, and just consumed by money. And, and if you lose it, then, man, you, you despair and become like the people that we talked about after the 2008 economic downturn. If you center your life on pleasure and comfort and entertainment, you find yourself getting addicted to things that consume and control you, and you become chained to these escape strategies to our own ruin. So God tells Elijah, tell the king that he's going to die. So the messengers go back to the king, and they say, the king says, hey, what, what are you doing back so soon? Like, it should have taken you a lot longer to go to Beelzebub, and, and you're back so soon. Like, what happened? And he's like, well, we met a man along the way, and he said to ask you this question. He says, is it because there's no God in Israel that you want us to go and worship Beelzebub? Like, is that what's going on here, king? And then he told us this. He said, listen, king. You're going to die. This, this injury, this accident, that what happened to you is going to result in your death. And the king's ticked off. He doesn't like that news. That's not what he wanted to hear, right? He didn't want to hear he's going to die. And so he's like, well, well, who is this guy? Who is this man that you found out? Well, this man that we saw on the road, like he, he wears this camel hair suit. It's like a jumpsuit that's made of camel hair. And he's got this leather belt around his waist. I mean, and he's like, wait a sec. I know who that is. That's Elijah the Tishbite. He knew Elijah. Elijah was a thorn in his dad's flesh. Elijah was like, you know, you remember the showdown at Mount Carmel, right? You remember what happened there? Well, well, King Azziah, he was there. He knows Elijah. He knows this guy that kept like seeking after his dad. And like, now he's after me. So King Ahaziah, you know what he's like? He's so angry, he sends the captain of, of a military captain with 50 soldiers. And he's like, I want you to go find him. Go find him. Not because he wants to, like, hey, let's come and have dinner and have a nice party. He wants, I want you to take him out. Because he thinks, he thinks that somehow if he can get rid of Elijah, then he's not going to die. Like, somehow he'll be fine. Like, isn't that crazy thinking? But that's what happens when you worship idols. When we look to things and people instead of the one true God, we have crazy thinking. And so he's trying to kill the messenger. Listen, I, we, we, we like our idols. We like them. And we don't want anyone threatening to take them away. Right? I mean, we don't want someone to say, hey, listen, you, I see, it seems like you got to struggle with this or a problem here. And like, you need to, and like, hey, man, it's, you got the problem. Who, who are you telling me I got a problem? I remember early on at Pathway, right? We were talking about 15 year anniversary when we were uh, getting started the first year. And I was preaching through Genesis. I thought, wow, I'm going to start, might as well start at the beginning of the Bible. And, and so we were going through Genesis and, and we were, 
you know, some weeks in, and we came to the passage in Genesis 2 at the beginning where it says, you know, God rested on the seventh day. And we're going to talk about the importance of Sabbath rest. And, and when you rest from your work, it's a way of saying, hey, I trust God that he's really the one in control and not me. And, and, and the deal was this, right? So I've been working like a, a maniac trying to get the church going and meeting with people. And, and, and I wasn't taking any day off. I'm working every day. And Jennifer, she's like, she says to me, she knew what I was going to preach on. She's like, listen, there's no way you can get up there and tell people they need to take a Sabbath rest when you're not even doing it yourself. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, it's your, you know, who are you? Who are you? you know why? You know, I'm defensive because why? Because it was true. See, when people speak to you about your idols... Oftentimes we attack back because it's true. And we don't like that. I can tell you as a pastor, over the years of ministry, when God has had me go and say something in love to someone where I say, hey, if you keep doing this, you're going to destroy yourself. And they're like, man, who, who are you to tell me what to do? Kill the messenger. That's what try to do. So two times, King Ahaziah, he does this. Two times, actually three times in the passage, but he, he sends out a captain and he sends out these 50, 50 soldiers and he says, go find him, go find Elijah. And so they go out and they look for him and, and Elijah sees him coming. And so Elijah gets down on his knees and he prays and he, he says, God, would you destroy them? And God sends fire from heaven and he wipes them out. I'm like, Wow. You just think, well, what's that all about? Well, if you remember the showdown at Mount Carmel, it was about fire from heaven consuming the sacrifice. Remember? Because it's like, who's really in charge? Is it Baal? Is Baal the, the God of fire, the God of rain? Or is it God, the one true God, who's the God of fire and rain? And so, the, you know, the, the Baal prophets, they danced and slashed and, and nothing. And then Elijah prays and God sends fire from heaven. Well, he does it again, and I'm sure it's to say, hey, listen, I'm still the one true God. I'm the fire God. I'm the rain God. Like, like, man, let me show you. And he brings down the fire. And it comes in judgment. I'm sure the king heard about it. You'd think the king would be like, man, maybe I better turn back to this one true God, Yahweh, and worship him and but no, he, he sends out another group. He sends a second group, the captain and 50 more, and they go out. He prays again. Elijah prays, same thing. Fire from heaven comes and consumes them. God's judgment falls on them. Now listen, God is not sitting up in heaven ready to destroy sinners. Listen, look at me. God is not sitting up in heaven ready to send down fire and destroy sinners. He is patient. He is patient, not wishing that any should perish. He's patient with us, not wishing that any should perish. 
But notice this, back in 1 Kings, I read this earlier in chapter 22. It's the end of 1 Kings 22, verse 53, the last verse of that chapter. It says, King Ahaziah served Baal and worshipped him and provoked him, provoked God to anger. See, when we persist in worshiping idols, when we persist in worshiping created things instead of the creator, when we persist in that, It provokes God. His desire is to extend mercy and grace. His his heart is to extend mercy and grace. His nature is to extend kindness and mercy and grace. And he he wants to extend it and he continues to reach out to us. But if we persist, if we continue to provoke him, at some point he will give us over to the desires of our heart. And that's what judgment is. You want to worship this created thing to your own ruin? Then I'm going to let you go that way and you're going to destroy your life. Notice he sends a third captain. Third time with 50 men. This guy, he's heard, right? He knows what's happened. I mean, imagine you're that guy, right? Hey, Number three, captain number three, I know the first two consumed with fire. You know, the, the 50 dead. But, but, but maybe you'll have a little better chance. So you, you step forward and go. I mean, can you imagine being that guy? And, and he goes. And he falls on his face. Oh, man of God, he says to Elijah, please let me live and let by the life of these 50 men, let them live. Let, they be, let them be precious in your sight. Oh, like, he's not, I mean, he's fearful of his life. But he's like, listen, he knows. He knew this showdown at, at Mount Carmel. He knows the one true God had victory. And he's like, he did it again. He's like, man, I'm worshiping him. I'm turning to him. And he pleads for mercy. And he worships the one true God and God spares his life and restores him and shows him mercy. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down, go down with him now and don't be afraid of him. So he, he goes with this, this captain and they go down to the king and then Elijah comes to the king. And it says here at the end of, of chapter one, he got to the king and told the king, because you think there's no God in Israel... And have inquired and sent messengers to, to worship Baal. You should not come down from your bed, but will surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord spoken through Elijah. I think, I think God gave this king multiple chances in this story to turn back and say, Listen, I, I've been worshiping Baal. I need to turn back to the one true God. Multiple opportunities. But he still persisted. And so, and so here's the, the story, right? It's we become what we worship. Either to our own ruin or to our restoration. King Ahaziah worshipped Baal and it was to his own ruin. And the Lord gave him over to that and he ended up dying in his idolatry. The, the 
51 that went out, and the next group of 51, they went out, and they were Baal worshipers, and they died to their own ruin because of their Baal worship. I'm guessing, right, when King Ahaziah fell and got hurt, he, he didn't... He didn't like, hey, I only got a few, I got a few weeks left here. I'm, I'm going to die. I better get right with the Lord. He wasn't thinking that way. When the captains, they went out to capture Elijah and bring him back or kill him. I mean, like they weren't thinking like, man, today's our last day. We better, we better get things right with God. See, when we worship dead, lifeless, empty things, it's to our own ruin, to our own destruction. And we don't know at what point, listen to me on this, we don't know at what point the Lord will give us over to the hardness of our heart. He, there, will, there comes a point in time. Listen, if you persist in worshiping idols, there comes a time at which your heart is, is beyond repair. The Lord knows that and he says, I'm just giving you over to that and, and you are destroyed at that point. This morning, if you're here and you're numb spiritually, if you're apathetic, if you're complacent, if you're cold, if you're dead, if you're lifeless, those are good indicators that you're worshiping not the one true God, but, but Baal or, or some other God that you think is going to give you life. But the third captain, I lo- I'm so glad the third captain is in this story. In the face of God's judgment, he saw God's judgment fall on those others. And he said, in the face of God's judgment, he he got low, he humbled himself, and he cried out for mercy. Which one are you today? I have a confession to make. Sometimes I like to watch chick flicks. I know. I was a little afraid to say that with Nathaniel here. Listen, uh, a number of years ago, I watched this movie, The Notebook, right? And uh, maybe you you saw that. Some of you are like, "Oh my goodness!" There's a lot of for those of you online. There's a lot of groaning in the room right now. So um, it starts with an elderly man going to a nursing home, and we see in the beginning that he's going there reading from a journal from a notebook to an elderly woman in this nursing home. And then the story shifts to a young couple. Their name is Allie and Noah, and they fall in love. They love each other. They spend time together, and and yet her mother didn't approve of that relationship. Different social classes? No, I don't don't like it. And, And they end up moving. They move away. And so Allie moves away with her family, and and yet they're still in love. And and Noah, he goes off to war. He serves in World War II. But but he still loves her, and and so he writes letters to her. Writes letters every day for a whole year, and he sends them to Allie, and they they go there. and, And yet the mother is intercepting these at the mailbox, and they never get to her. And so after a year of writing with no response, he just kind of gives up and says, okay, I guess, I guess it's not going to happen. 
finally comes home from war after war. He's done serving, and he comes home, and he ends up running to, into Alley again, and they meet up. They end up spending the rest of their life together. We're tipped off at that point that, that really this, this older couple that we saw at the beginning of the movie is, is this couple, Noah and Allie. But she's in a nursing home. Allie is now because she's suffering from dementia. And her mind isn't always thinking straight. And so he goes faithfully every day and he reads from her journal of her this record of their romance and her love for him, and he reads that to her every day. And there are moments where she becomes aware of the present, of what's going on, and she becomes, you know, clear in her thinking, and she's like, how are our children doing? And they embrace, and they hold each other. And then she slips back into her confused thinking, and she's like, who are you? And she pushes him away, and he continues just to faithfully love her. That movie makes me sad just to see that love, and she doesn't know him except for these moments, and yet he faithfully loves her. How much more is God like that with us? How much more does God continue to love us and faithfully pursue us? And yet we get confused in our thinking, don't we? And we we run after things that are created things that don't satisfy and don't give us life. And we think we can find life and peace in those things or those people. And yet God keeps loving us and keeps moving towards us. And in moments of clarity, God allows us by his grace to see him and his love for us and to make the choices that are going to honor and glorify him. And this morning, he's inviting you to come to him and to cry out for mercy and to find the grace that you need and to be set free from idolatry and for your heart for your heart to be made alive by the author of life he loves you we become what we worship either to our own ruin or to our restoration Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we need desperately your grace and mercy today. We need your mercy in our lives. We chase after things and we pursue other things and other people and we don't even recognize it that we're looking to those things and people to give us what only you can give. We need your mercy and grace even to see that today. And then to to be brought to the point of humbling ourselves and crying out to you for forgiveness and asking you to, to change our hearts and to give us a heart that worships and adores you only. 
Would you do that today, Jesus? Would you do that in my heart? Would you do that in our hearts today? Would you help us to find life that is truly life in you? I'm so thankful for your, for your love. I'm so thankful for your patience. But Lord, help us not to miss this moment. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.